Hello and welcome to the Ready Room Podcast, the Treks in Sci-Fi Microcast. I'm Rick Moyer and I play Counselor Margon and Jadan the bartender. We've been so impressed with all the great writing lately that we decided to go short on the commentary. Kenny's busy working on a project, Jen's putting this program together, and I'm quickly introducing as we go into the great posts. So enjoy them and we hope you have a wonderful time listening. I'll be back to wrap things up quickly at the end of the readings. Post 81 by Just X. If there had been passion missing from their relationship, it did not show in their kiss. Eric held his wife in a tight embrace and slowly pulled his lips away from Una's. He had not realized how much he had missed her until she stood before him in his office. He had missed the feel of her soft red hair against his skin and that unique scent that was completely her. Did I interrupt your meetings? Una purred softly in his ear. Eric shook his head and smiled. We're taking a brief break. I have more to complete, but I can afford to take a break. Una nodded. Are we going to stay here for now, or will you be returning back to my ship? I still have duties to attend. It is best for us to stay in my quarters until we're done. Is Rory with the children? Una asked as her fingers slid down the back of her long, absent husband. Yes, Eric smiled. We should have the place to ourselves for a few hours to get caught up. I'll also need to notify the captain of your arrival. Una sighed. If you must, I fail to see how it will matter in the long run. He won't remember. None of them will. Have you treated Elizabeth? Will she be able to remember me now? Eric nodded again. As you suspected, it was the gene and not the nanites that protected me. She has that protection now. Arya was reborn with it, and Rory is shielded from the virus your people like to leave behind. Una kissed his cheek and released him. You lead and I'll follow. Eric chuckled to himself as his wife vanished from sight. He could barely register even the presence of her mind when she was cloaked, but he knew she was there. It was turning out to be a far better reunion than he expected. His heart might have been torn, but his duty was not. Computer, lights, he said, and led the way out of the office. Computer, also inform Captain Quinn that I will be spending the next several hours with my newly arrived family, and I will speak to him of it soon. As they walked, Eric could sense his wife just out of reach. Almost every important thing in his life had been just out of reach, and this was no different. His heart was split in two, and it was his fault. For so long, he had gone after things that were just out of reach that he found it hard to notice the things that he did have. He needed to do something about that. He needed to change himself and his habit of playing the martyr. He could have a grand measure of happiness if only he was willing to endure that which he could not have. Endure and be happy or be hurt and be alone. When put that way, it wasn't much of a choice, but it was still hard to decide. The heart wanted what the heart wanted and the universe would not allow him to have it all. The next post was written by Hawkeye Meds and read by Meds. The Callum walked into the afterburner and quickly glanced round. Sitting at the bar enjoying a drink was the new security officer. Good time keeping, thought the Callum. Walking over to the new crewman he nodded at the barman who quickly looked round and then ducked below. Doris gave a slight frown as the barman reappeared with two bottles of Weather Oak Real Ale. Pouring the amber liquid into two old style human pint glasses, the Carlin lifted his glass to the ensign. Cheers, mate. From across the room, Michael watched the chief of security, and then looked down at the puzzle in front of him. He had been looking at it for half an hour, and he still could not see the planet that was hidden. Deciding that the bar was not the best place to concentrate, he decided to find solace in his own quarters. His shore leave began tomorrow, 
and he decided that a trip to the station store would be a bit of an adventure. The next post was written by Brian C.D. and read by Moyer777. Lieutenant Dunn walked briskly down the corridor, his head held high, not so much out of a sense of supreme confidence, but in an effort to make sure his new rank pips could be viewed clearly. He had just finished his first duty shift as lieutenant. Nothing had really changed. The Callan staff interacted more like brothers and sisters when not on official duty assignments. If anything, his first day as lieutenant had been filled with good-natured ribbing and teasing as much as jaunty salutes. Still, he was proud of what he had achieved, and, as usual, nervous, anticipating the expectations on him going forward. He walked through the afterburner's doors and immediately saw DeCallant. What a shocker, he thought with a smile. The chief did enjoy his downtime. He was sitting at the bar with the new security, Ensign Darius. Dunn had yet to meet the new man and could think of no better way than break the ice, especially as DeCallant had broken out his stash of the real stuff. The next post was written by Jen and Wraith1701 and read by Jen. In a holodeck on Starbase 416, Ryla's Mukbara training continued. Katan stood with his legs slightly spread. Both arms were held at shoulder level, forearms bent inward to bring the fingertips of each hand nearly together, less than a centimeter apart. Mukbara represents the heart and soul of the Klingon people. Exhaling slowly but steadily, he pushed his hands down towards his waist. To Ryla, it appeared as though he were working against some unseen force of resistance. Practicing the forms soothes the spirit. Her eyes followed as he then took a step forward, simultaneously sweeping his arms up, then forward and down as his leading knee bent to bring him to rest in a crouching position. Mastering the forms centers the body. His fingers curled into claws. Katan smoothly swept his arms up to the right, raising from the crouch. He slowly pivoted his body in the same direction as his sweeping arms, then held that position for a beat. Becoming one with the forms brings victory. His balletic movements were ironic, given Mokbara's defensive purpose. Ryla wondered if they were the origin of the word art and the term martial art. She watched in silent admiration as the robust Terran moved with fluid grace before her. Katan swiveled at the waist to face the opposite direction, the fingers of his right hand tucked into his palm. His right hand lanced forward as he flexed his left elbow, tucking the opposite hand in towards his ribcage. Another beat. Katan then returned to his initial stance, bringing his arms up and crossing them at the wrists before his chest. Form 1, Goptaj, or Cutting Hand, a deceptively simple-looking set of moves, yet it is the cornerstone of the art. Katan gestured for Ryla to follow him to a series of mirrors lining the back wall of the training room. We will practice Goptaj today until you have duplicated the moves with minimal assistance. We will practice in our next session, and the one after that as well. He placed one hand gently on her left shoulder. She resisted the sudden urge to take a step back. Our goal is to make this form a reflex for you. Something you can do with as little thought as you use for walking or blinking your eyes. Once the form becomes a part of you, we can begin your real training. The doctor attempted a joke to alleviate a sudden and unexpected feeling of nervousness. I guess I should have mentioned this before you agreed to teach me, but I'm not the most graceful dancer. I, I tend to step on toes quite a bit. Nearly two hours later, Ryla sat panting on the training room floor. 
her brow glistening with sweat. Who would have thought repeating a short series of moves would be so strenuous, she asked. Catan handed her a towel. You did well, he said, as she dried her face and neck. And I have a confession to make. The training program includes a variable gravity. For the past 45 minutes, we've been training under 1.4 Gs. Catan smiled, then quickly raised his hand to catch the sweat-drenched towel rocketing towards his face. Nice throw. He tossed the towel into a nearby hamper, his free hand absently tracing an old scar running down the side of his face. Computer, restore gravity to natural setting. As the gravity returned to Starfleet's standard of 1G, Ryla felt suddenly lighter. She stood up with a little more force than she intended, her momentum causing her to stumble towards Catan. The tactical officer gently grasped her shoulders to study her. As he felt her muscles tense under his hands, he quickly released her and stepped back. Are you all right? He asked. Ryla blushed and smiled sheepishly. Yes, I'm fine. Her eyes strayed to the scar on the man's face. I hope you don't think I'm being forward, but I've been meaning to ask you, where did you pick up that scar? As Catan's expression froze, she quickly added, I meant no offense, I, I was just wondering. Your medical records have no information about it. Catan's features thawed into a forced-looking smile. No offense taken, Ryla. It's just that it's a bit of a long story. He glanced at his chronometer. I'm scheduled to meet Commander James back on the Arabella in a few hours, but if you truly want to hear the tale, perhaps I could tell you about it over dinner. The smile she returned came easily. I'd like that. The following post was written by Dinghead and read by Dinghead. Darius eyed the second glass with interest. He had two rules regarding beer. The situation satisfied both. Thanks, sir. He took the glass with the reference it deserved. The color and aroma were like nothing he'd ever seen. Not outside the fake brews you got from a replicator, anyway. And those don't count. He took one sip and sighed. When I was in training, my first instructor was an ex-Bajoran freedom fighter. He used to tell us that the reason he survived the horrors he had was that he had two missions. One was to free his home, and the other was to taste the perfect beer. He smirked. If I were to send him a bottle of this, he might cross the second off his list. As he complimented the brew, Darius noted the approach of another officer. This one had a black pip that was far shinier than the slightly worn gold one beside it. Come to think of it, Lieutenant Commander DeCallan had the same sort of shine on his black pip as well. He'd heard there'd been promotions just before his arrival. He hadn't known for whom. Gentlemen, he said, raising his glass to both the boss and the man weaving towards them. Belated congratulations. The next post was written by Iceman and read by Moyer777. Myella was in her quarters when Dr. Peterson walked in. The look on his face told Myella that something was very wrong. She walked over to her husband with great concern and asked him what was wrong. Dr. Peterson sat down at his desk and said, I can no longer run away from my past. The last mission has made me realize this. Myella sat down next to him with a puzzled look on her face and said, What do you mean? Peterson started to explain how he blamed the Borg for the loss of everything that was important in his life, how the Battle of Wolf 359 changed his life forever, and how the hate of the Borg had consumed him for years. They had taken his family. Casey explained how he realized that this hate was preventing him from being a good officer. 
He was afraid to trust those beneath him to do their jobs. The doctor had come to realize that he had spent so many years trusting only himself because he was afraid to get close to anyone else for the fear that Borg might take them away from him too. He explained that until the last encounter with the Borg, he had thought he had dealt with these demons, but now realized that he could no longer run from them and must deal with them head on, or they would continue to interfere with his life and career. Maella looked at her husband with great concern and replied, We will get through this together, no matter how long it takes. I've informed Lieutenant Commander James of the situation and will be seeking counseling when we return from shore leave. A wellness center will be set up to handle the day-to-day medical issues, so sickbay will only handle the most severe. Maella took her husband's hand in hers. I'm very proud of you. You've admitted that you have a problem and have sought help for yourself. I know how hard that must have been for you. It almost makes you human. (laughs) She laughed. What are you waiting for? Let's get packed for our vacation, shall we? The next post was written by Just X and read by Billy Bob. Una simply sighed to herself as Eric looked at her from the edge of his bed. The sound of laughing children entering the living area had quickly forced him to change their plans. He had assured her that he wanted her to meet the girls, but their current state of dress would seriously complicate the meeting. I'm sorry, Eric said in a hushed voice as he began to redress. I didn't expect anyone home so soon. Una nodded as she still lay in bed with a combination of the sheet and her scarlet locks covering her nudity. I'm beginning to think that there will always be something to keep us apart, Eric. I knew that your life here would complicate our life at home, but when will we have our chance to be happy? Eric turned to face her, chest still bare. Una, I'm trying to make this all work. I've missed you and I haven't betrayed our vows. This life that you lead away from me isn't fair, she replied while sitting up, holding the sheet to her chest. I knew I didn't have all your heart when we married, but now I'm beginning to wonder if I ever had any of it. How can someone that claims to love you be fine with never seeing you? You might not have physically betrayed them, but I don't believe that your heart has been completely true to them. That's not true. I've missed you, but... You have your other loves here, and you haven't had to hurt as I have, Una cut him off. Eric had no response as he moved and sat beside her. As much as he wanted to argue it, she was right. He was surrounded by a family and those he cared about. It had made their time apart much easier for him. Despite your physical age, I forget how young you are inside. You are just a young man in some ways. One that still hasn't decided what he wants out of this life, Una said and stroked his thigh. I thought that this separation would remind you where you belonged, but it hasn't, has it? Eric sighed and touched her face. I do love you. So much has happened, and I'm just trying to get my bearings. You also love more than just me, she replied with a sad smile. You need to decide who and what you love more. I can't and I won't fight against a memory. I know that a heart is not so finite that its love can only be given to one person, but I also know that I am not so evolved that I am willing to share you with someone else. Una, I've been faithful to our vows, Eric started, but Una stopped him by placing one of her delicate fingers to his lips. We've been married over a decade, and I've had few chances to spend with my husband. Ten years might be a short time to someone like you or I, but a day longing for your husband doesn't seem to pass as quickly. Perhaps we should not have married so soon after you lost your daughter, but we did, Una sighed. You need to decide what you want to do, Eric. I'm not going to wait forever, and you can't know what you want until you resolve these questions in your heart. What are you trying to say? Eric tilted his head slightly. 
We should suspend our marriage and the vows that we promised until you know what you want. Eric's brow raised at that. I'm not going to fight with a ghost. I'm not going to fight against the whole of your Federation for your heart. If you and I are going to be together, then you need to decide which life is more important to you. You need to grow up and decide who you are going to be. Does your heart still belong here or with me? Why do we need to suspend our vows for that? Eric asked. As long as you are keeping your vows because of duty, we will never know if you can keep the spirit of them because of love. If our life together is one simply based on duty, it's a life I can do without. I want my husband to love me more than those other things in his life. I need to know what you would do if those duties were gone. Which of us do you love more, me or your Federation? Eric nodded softly as he took in her words and the words she left unspoken. Truth cut through him like a dagger. How does this work? Una leaned in softly and kissed the lips of her husband before beginning the long explanation on how separations worked in her society. It could have taken longer, but separation or not, she still wanted to meet the children that she had shared in her heart with her husband. The following post was written by Just X and Wraith1701 and read by Billy Bob. After Una's departure, Eric decided that his best course of action would be to lose himself in his work. But on returning to his office, he found himself reliving their bittersweet reunion. Of its own accord, his mind turned to memories of the delicate curve of her neck and the gentle sound of her laughter. He gave a small, pained sigh. He could still taste the warmth of her last kiss. I have to focus on work, he thought. Eric rose and stretched. With meeting upon meeting, it was getting hard to tell how long he was at it. He glanced at his pad again and waited for Catan to arrive. Eric had made a lot of progress with the other department heads, but transfers were always tricky. It was also something that he felt was right for the ship. It would not only test Catan in new ways, it would give him new insights to the position. Eric knew that Catan was capable of more, and in turn, he would expect more from him. Enter, Eric called out as the chime for his door rang. Catan entered the office, a pad tucked into the crook of his right arm. Greetings, Commander James. Catan gestured to the seat opposite of Eric's desk. May I? he asked. At Eric's nod of assent, Catan sat and activated his pad. Thank you for taking the time to see me, Commander. Scuttlebutt is that you are conducting performance appraisals of the senior staff, so I took the liberty of compiling some efficiency reports for my department. He slid the pad towards Eric James. As you can see, I've developed my staff into one of the most outstanding tactical departments in the fleet. We fine-tuned systems almost to the point of perfection. I've also successfully developed some true leaders. While I was acting head of security, I took an ensign under my wing and helped groom him into one of our newest lieutenants, Lieutenant Dunn. I've also tapped into and expanded the leadership potential with Lieutenant Otak. When tasked with improving our shields and sensors during the Terrasic mission, he and his team improved sensor efficiency by nearly 21%. Katan paused, sighed, and leaned forward. Speaking of efficiency, there is a small matter that I'd like to discuss with you. Hopefully, as acting first officer, you can convince the captain to address it as well. Eric's eyebrow quirked in an almost Vulcan fashion. Go on, Mr. Catan. Spit it out. Catan paused to gather his thoughts, then continued. With every other ship that I've served on, both Klingon and Federation, the tactical and security departments were one and the same. It seems redundant to have two department heads presiding over what is essentially one department. And with the losses we suffered with the Borg, it seems a waste of resources. Eric nodded his understanding, and Catan continued. 
Joseph DeCallan has shown an impressive grasp of security matters, and I've developed an extraordinarily competent tactical team. With the support of officers like Lieutenant Otak, I'm certain that there would be a minimal learning curve while DeCallan acclimates himself with the ship's tactical systems. Sounds like you're trying to work yourself out of a job, Eric said. With DeCallan in charge of tactical, what would you be doing? Catan leaned forward aggressively. While I served in the Klingon Defense Forces, I was being groomed for a position in command. I served in many different positions, and all with the aim of familiarizing myself with every aspect of Starship operations. Catan straightened in his chair, squaring his shoulders. Quite frankly, Commander, I don't feel I'm being challenged enough by serving as Chief Tactical Officer. I could do it in my sleep, and my ultimate goal is to gain a command of my own. Catan stood and began pacing the room. Initially, I thought the best path to command would be to transfer to the operations, but many aspects of ops, such as routing power to various ship systems, run parallel to tactical. Besides, I'm looking to move forward. I feel permanently adopting ops gold will be a step backwards. He stopped and turned to face Eric. Instead, I think I can best challenge and develop myself, as well as serve the Arabella, by taking on a different position. I wish to permanently transfer to the command division and take on a new role, that of strategic operations officer. By doing this, I could oversee ops while keeping a hand in tactical. Not only would this streamline communications between the two departments, but it would allow me to oversee Lieutenant Commander DeCallan's transition to Chief of Tactical and avail him of my expertise at the post. In a nutshell, as Strategic Operations Officer, I would be in charge of overseeing and coordinating the activities of the operations and tactical departments. Wow, Eric said with a smile. I do believe that is the most I've ever heard you say at one time. It's a bold idea, but one that I'm not in the power to grant. It is also a position that's found more on a starbase than a starship. That being said, the core of your idea has some merit. At the same time, I don't believe that you are fully aware of the needs of the operations position. It is also unclear what duties a strategic operations officer would hold on a starship. It seems that you have given this a lot of thought, and I admire that. What I can do is authorize your immediate transfer to Chief of Operations and give you the opportunity to present a full proposal on your idea to the captain. Eric's smile faded slightly. While the Tiberius was a much larger ship than this one, and there was a need for separate tactical and security officers, the Arabella is much smaller. Tradition has dictated that these positions be combined on a ship of this size because of the overlap. I need you to convince both the captain and myself why merging tactical and operations instead of security is the way to go on this. Operations has always coordinated their activities with tactical. Not only tactical, but science, engineering, and even medical. Eric gave the man a serious look. In all honesty, Catan, a ship lives or dies by the skill of those in operations. It's far more than managing power or allocating sensor time. It's about knowing the ins and outs of a ship as well as every other department head. To send power to tactical and sensors, you have to know, not guess, exactly what your ship is capable of. You have to know your people. If you want your own command one day, the best route to that is putting on that gold shirt and becoming one with your ship by knowing it. Operations is the only department that allows that. It's the only department that expects it. You are a bold man for wanting to put even more on your plate, and I commend that. I want you in operations because I know that it will test you, and that you will meet that test head-on. If you want more duties, I'm not going to refuse you a chance to present why you should have them. You want a new position? Convince myself and the captain that it's necessary to the ship, and that it's in the best interest of the ship." Catan quietly considered the commander's words. He had to admit to himself, much of what Eric James said made sense and he knew that part of his reluctance to fully let go of tactical was due to his fierce affinity with martial matters. The hint of a rueful smile formed on his face. 
It seemed that the longer he served, the further he drifted from the starship duties that he had always held most dear. First his reassignment from security to tactical, now from tactical to ops. But to truly challenge myself, I have to be open to embracing new things, he thought. As well as being open to stepping outside of my comfort zone. Besides, he mused, the commander is right. There's much I could learn from being chief of ops. A subdued smile of determination grew on Catan's face, and he slowly nodded his head. What you are saying makes sense, Commander. He extended his hand and gave Eric's a firm shake. I would be honored to serve as Chief Operations Officer of the Arabella. The next post was written by Jen and read by Jen. The Trill examined her reflection in the mirror for the third time and frowned. Why are you making so much of this? She directed a puff of air towards her spotted forehead causing the short strand of blonde hair that fell across it to settle on the right. Ryla stared at the flaxen lock for a moment before her gaze descended on the fawn-colored eyes of the woman in the mirror. She was slowly coming to know her, and she was not unlike the person Ryla used to be. The woman was wearing an unassuming sunrise yellow dress that her mother and father had sent the previous year. She had rolled her eyes in response to her mother's communique, which was delivered the morning that the joining day gift arrived. Don't wear it any place dark or muddy. It's not intended for one of your caving expeditions. Go someplace bright and clean for a change and send pictures. You never send pictures. For all we know, you've grown a half a meter taller and all of your spots have fallen off. That would be the least of my problems, she thought with a smirk as her eyes roamed over her reflected image. Ryla hadn't had the opportunity to try the garment on until now. She was surprised that she liked it. It definitely looked better on her than it did in the box. The dress was pretty, but not flashy or loud. It was feminine, but not too revealing. It was simple, but not at all plain. Basically, it was the perfect outfit for a quiet dinner that wasn't quite a date. Her parents weren't the only people who had been sending communiques. She thought of all the messages recently received from family and friends. When she failed to answer theirs, her sisters threatened to drop in on her. Despite the distance, Ryla didn't put it past them to arrive on her doorstep unannounced. It was definitely a possibility, but they hadn't knocked on her door yet, so chances were the threats were idle. Ryla knew it was inconsiderate to ignore them all, and she hated herself for being so insensitive. But she wasn't ready to be bombarded with the inevitable fuss. She loved her family but keeping them at a distance was paramount at this stage. Their overprotective nature would hinder her effort to rediscover herself. If she decided to have a memorial for Drat, she would invite them to attend, but not before she had time to heal. The woman in the mirror smiled dimly before turning to pick up a small object on the desk behind her. She and Ryla simultaneously opened their right hands and examined the elaborately carved talisman. Each polished black stone was engraved with the physician's prayer of healing. A week after Catan gave it to her, she translated the Terrasic runes with the help of the ship's computer, as she wondered if he understood its meaning, or the irony of his timing. Bind and break the harm that was done. Render this affliction forever powerless. Health and vigor, strength and life, let it be. She knew it had no real power, but it made her feel better. She had carried it ever since and committed the words to memory. The stone was so much more than a mere trinket to her. The inexpensive memento had given her a degree of comfort when she felt alone and frightened. To Ryla, her precious stone was a remedy. She tucked the object into a small pocket as the intercom cut the silence of her quarters. Lieutenant Commander James to Lieutenant Drett. 
She grimaced at the use of the symbion's name. Yes, Commander. Are you available for an impromptu meeting in my office in five minutes? Ryla paused a moment before replying. Certainly. If you don't mind my casual attire, I was just on my way to the starbase. It's alright. This meeting is very short notice. Don't worry. I won't keep you long. The following post was written by Just X and Jen and read by Jen. Eric paced slowly across the carpeted floor of his office as he waited for Ryla to arrive. Between family and meetings, he had managed to completely ruin any sort of time he could have spent with his wife. It was a course of action that had culminated into something he had not expected. Long-lived species had a very strong enemy when trying to stay wed. That enemy was time. Una's people realized that a long time ago, and now Eric realized it. She was still his wife, but things were different between them now. There was something between a second chance and a fresh start. He was happy for both, but he knew he wasn't the only one going through the emotions attached to having another chance at things. Catan's meeting was obviously over if Lieutenant Commander James was now requesting a meeting with her. She stepped into the lift, called for the proper deck, and tapped her comm badge. Lieutenant Dr- She paused. She didn't like using the symbiont's name. Ryla Imarin was her given name, but Catan didn't know her by that. She frowned at the realization and gazed up at the ceiling. Ryla Dret to Lieutenant Commander Catan. Catan here. I think I'm going to be a little late. Lieutenant Commander James has requested an impromptu meeting with me. If you still want to grab a bite to eat, I'll meet you on the promenade in front of the merchant quarter at 2100 hours. Of course. Do you like Klingon food? Um, I've never had the opportunity to try it. I'm not usually squeamish, but I don't think I can muster the courage to eat gach. <laughs> Neither can I, he laughed. Ryla stepped from the lift and made her way to the XO's office. The chime sounded, and an instant later the door swept open. Commander, she said. You wanted to see me? How are you doing today, Doctor? Eric smiled and gestured for her to take a seat across from his desk. Today was better than yesterday, sir. I'm going to go out on the limb here and assume that you haven't fully recovered from your experience. But the ship needs you. Are you ready to step up to a new challenge? Ryla hesitated a moment before sitting in the chair. His forward, cut to the chase nature, had once again surprised her. Her smile was delayed as she smoothed her dress and sat in the chair. What do you have in mind? The trill tried to sound eager, but she suspected the telepath knew that her enthusiastic tone was less than genuine. Dr. Peterson is addressing some personal issues, and while he's doing that, we need to make sure that medical is running smoothly, Eric said as he leaned slightly forward in his chair. Pending the captain's final authorization, I want to convert some of the unused space aboard the ship into a general care facility. With many of our crew still recovering from this last encounter, I believe we could use more room. Casey will of course still be in charge of medical, but it's time to see what our other officers can do, if given the opportunity. A decentralized medical system will also reduce the loss of life if anything happens to one of our two facilities. What are your opinions on this? She nodded. A secondary infirmary would be useful. Patients requiring minor treatment or irregular physicals could be diverted there, leaving Dr. Peterson to utilize main sickbay as a trauma and critical care center. If you're looking for a suggestion, Commander, Myella Peterson would be more than capable of heading the new facility. Eric smiled. I already have the perfect person in mind. You. You're the Assistant Chief, and you've proven yourself to be a competent leader in the past. I know you've been through a lot, but like it or not, you represent one of the only good things that has risen from the Borg attack. Ryla's stare lingered for a moment. 
She hadn't expected him to offer her the position. I appreciate your confidence in me, but my present condition would make me a liability to the staff. At this point, I'm not sure that I'm the best choice to run the new ward. Your specialization would be better suited to a clinic than a trauma center, Dr. Dredd. I understand that you're hesitant to do this. I can't blame you. I've lost enough of my own life to realize how simple it would be to simply crawl into a hole and recover. The fact of the matter is that you're the best person for the job. You're a doctor. Given your relative age, I assume this is a career path you chose before becoming joined. You still are a doctor. I can't afford to have both my CMO and ACMO nursing wounds and trying to pick up their lives. The entire vessel has suffered serious losses. In addition, there are now at least two women on this ship that could use your services, doctor. Casey needs a break, and I need you to hold the line and make his job a little easier. Ryla quietly absorbed his comments, yet she swallowed them down like bitter pills. I had no intention of turning from my duties, sir. I will accept the position you are offering. Permission to speak freely, Commander? He nodded in reply to her request. She kept her tone respectful, though the anger she described to Catan boiled within her. While I appreciate your efforts to motivate me, I assure you it is not necessary. I am not hiding in a hole or licking my wounds. She drew a quavering breath as she continued. My hesitation is due solely to my desire to be a responsible officer. A smile grew on Eric's face. That's good to hear. I, for one, am glad I received that response from you. I don't mind you having a crisis of confidence, Doctor. From time to time, we all need someone to believe in us, to restore our self-assurance. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you if I wasn't convinced of your abilities. Ryla felt the seething emotion dissipate slightly, though his insensitive comments still irritated her. Thank you, sir. Once you have the captain's permission, I would like to visit the space you want converted to help create a floor plan. Of course, I'll keep you apprised of the situation. I won't keep you any longer. Enjoy your evening. Ryla left his office with little more than a nod. As she headed to the starbase, his words simmered in her mind as her thoughts cooked up the replies she would have given him had she been ready to leave Starfleet. 416's interior was cast in a dull hue, yet the aromas were vivid. The crisp scent of various foods from numerous cultures mingled on the promenade. They paralleled the mass of diverse peoples that wove their way through the merchant quarter. As Ryla passed through the crowd, her ears caught strings of individual dialects. Some sounded coarse, while others were as lyrical as impassioned songs. The trill had a fondness for languages, and she listened intently for those that she could translate without the use of her comm badge. Ten minutes had passed when her eavesdropping was interrupted by a Ferengi's aggressive sales pitch. Ryla tried to politely endure him, allowing him to prattle on for some time before abruptly interjecting, I I'm sorry. I'm not interested, but thank you anyway," she replied in the Ferengi's native tongue. He gazed at the clothed female in disgust, muttered something she didn't quite understand, and shuffled off to harass another newcomer. After that unexpected exchange, the doctor reactivated her badge and moved to the overlook near the Arabella's docking corridor. She gazed down at the well of decks below her feet. The opening in the upper ring was enormous. At the base of the structure, she could see a portion of the botanical gardens. Ryla wondered if Mackie had had a chance to visit it yet. A movement of air stirred the hem of her dress as the docking door opened and several crewmen entered the starbase from Arabella. When she didn't see Catan among them, she returned her attention to the garden far below. The next post was written by Feathers and read by Dangelus. Carrying a small pile of pads, 
Ensign Galvar reported for duty at the Arabella docking port and signed aboard the starship. He wasn't going to get the chance to fly as he had done on the holodeck, but he had been assigned some duties aboard. A couple of runabouts had been involved in the recent clash with the Borg so they deserved a once-over to ensure they were functional. Additionally, the ship's shuttle fleet was going to get a general overhaul since they wouldn't be required to do much else for a while. Some would presumably be loaned out to the crew on planetary leave, normal practice for Starfleet, but others would be rotated through the station's maintenance facilities for a more detailed overhaul than the ship's facilities could provide. Galdar wasn't here to do any maintenance himself, but as pilot duties on the station tended to include shuttle bay management and supervision, he'd been sent over to relieve Lieutenant Andrews, who was overseeing the Arabella end of the program. Shuttle bay, he called, entering a turbolift near the docking port. The bay was relatively quiet when he entered. It held most of its shuttle complement, but very few crew members. Most notably conspicuous by his absence was Nicholas Andrews. Galdar looked around the bay, then tapped his comm badge. Galdar to Andrews, he called and waited. When no response was forthcoming, he tried again. Galdar to Lieutenant Nicholas Andrews, Starbase Flight Operations. The pause grew uncomfortably long, but there was still no response. Galdar tapped the badge again. Computer, locate Lieutenant Andrews, Starbase Flight Operations. Lieutenant Andrews is located in Jeffrey's Tube 77. Turning to the nearest officer, a human, Galdar saw him already pointing to an open access port on the rear of the bay. Nodding in thanks, he started over in that direction just before the head of his colleague appeared through the opening. Nick? he queried. Then, as Andrews stood from the crouch required for Jeffrey's access, Your combat, sir? Andrews looked down, then grimaced at the blank material of his uniform breast and turned back towards the hatch, muttering. Perhaps the lieutenant should pay more attention in tight spaces, the human, still watching him, said flatly. Perhaps, but he's as good in tight spaces as anyone I know in on the station, Galdar replied. He stuck out his hand, human style. Galdar, F 416 flight operations. The human shook his hand gravely and nodded in acknowledgement. Lester Garris, Arabella Engineering. Galdar made a point of looking about him. I've been reading something about your ship. You've been in a few tight places yourself, I believe. Indeed, came the response. Galdar looked again. Had he missed some pointed ears when he'd assessed Garris on his arrival in the bay? How are the repairs coming? He tried again, nodding at the open access panel in which Lester had been partially obscured. Progress is acceptable. Given the amount of damage we sustained, a significant repair period is to be expected. With the commitment of the engineering staff, however, and the help of station personnel, I don't think we'll have a problem getting on top of things. Recalibrating the EPS grid, said Galdar as he peered into the access panel. After giving him a slightly strange look, Garris joined him, slowly getting drawn into a discussion on EPS management. Shall I consider myself relieved then, Ensign? came an amused voice from behind. Galdar stood and turned to Lieutenant Andrews, looking slightly embarrassed. Uh, of course, sir. I assume the latest repair has still to be returned. Yes, the lieutenant said matter-of-factly, but I don't expect it will be too long. He nodded to flight control, where the officer on duty was clearly in discussion with some unseen third party. 
I'll see you back at the base. Nodding farewell to both officers, Nick Andrews sauntered from the bay, tapping his combadge as the pressure doors closed on him. Galda also nodded, but more thoughtfully, and looked around him again. This ship had undeniably taken a beating, but it had handled the experience well. He didn't know the odds, but as a Ferengi, he understood the nature of probability and the relevance of luck. Thinking over recent events, he made a decision, one that he had hoped he wouldn't soon regret. Anson Garris, to whom would I speak about the possibility of a transfer aboard the Arabella? He asked. Garris withdrew from the Axis port looking slightly surprised. I guess you'd need to see the captain, but you could do worse than having a word with Lieutenant Commander James first. The hatch alarm sounded suddenly, causing Galda to flinch in a half-crouch and effectively ending the conversation. Ferengi genetic reaction again, he cursed slightly. Looking up, he watched the doors slowly open to reveal a shuttle outside the bay returning from a maintenance visit to the station. They'd considered simply beaming the small ships in and out of the Arabella, but it had been deemed more sensible to fly them. Galda assumed that a pilot had been involved in the decision somewhere, a fact for which he was grateful. Retrieving one of his pads, Galdar stood to one side as the shuttle settled to the deck, then ducked inside the rear hatch as it opened. Time to get on with the job, he thought. The next post was written by Wraith1701 and read by Moyer777. After his meeting with Eric James, Catan quickly made his way to his quarters. He donned one of his few civilian outfits, a pair of simple yet well-tailored rhinolhide pants, and an earth-toned silk-weaved tunic. A charcoal-gray overcoat of the same airy material gave his outfit a semi-formal look. Almost as an afterthought, he grabbed his family dagger and scabbard, securing them to his belt. Minutes later, as he wandered down the promenade of the starbase, he noticed a disturbance up ahead. A small crowd had gathered near the entrance to a gaming parlor, and a series of increasingly angry shouts were coming from the center of the mob. He quickened his pace... And as he drew nearer, he heard the unmistakable guttural rumblings of the Talingan tongue. This should be interesting, he thought. A ring of civilians of different species stood in a loose ring around two loudly arguing humanoids, a Klingon and a Nausicaan. From the way that the onlookers were suddenly and frantically backing away, it looked like the situation was escalating. Bones were going to be broken, blood was going to flow. As the tall, dusky-skinned human neared the motley crowd, its members instinctively made a hole for him. Approaching the pair, Catan caught the eye of the Klingon warrior. Nukena! he exclaimed. What is this all about? The Klingon turned to glance at him in mild surprise. From the unsteady slowness of his movement, Catan assumed that alcohol played a significant part in the conflict. As he cautiously drew nearer, the smell wafting towards him confirmed his suspicion. The Klingon slurred drunkenly. How charming! An Earther can speak like a civilized being! Catan glared at the drunken Klingon and nonchalantly flexed his shoulders, causing his coat to part and reveal the knife sheath attached to his belt. The Klingon's eye darted to it and noticing Catan's family crest carved onto the leather, he gave an incredulous chortle. <laughs> I've heard of you. You must be the foundling from the House of Gaul. I'm feeling generous today. 
So I offer you the opportunity to prove your right to wear that blade. You can join me in slaughtering this Nausicaan Venkulus. Catan slowly shook his head. I have no quarrel with either of you. I only felt honor-bound to give you a warning. I've alerted the station's authorities and they shall be here shortly. It would be dishonorable for you to end the day confined in a Starfleet holding cell. Taking advantage of the situation, the Nausicaan gave a sneering laugh, <laughs> and then turned and quickly melted into the crowd. The Klingon turned and spat on the floor in disgust. <laughs> you sniveling little disgust, he raged. You'd best hope our paths never cross again. For if I ever lay eyes on you again, I shall surely kill you. After scanning the area for signs of approaching security agents, the Klingon quickly headed down the corridor. As the crowds dispersed, Catan glanced at his chronometer. Noticing the time, he felt his heart spike in alarm. Tujaka! He cursed. I'm late. This is a joint post written by Wraith, 1701, and Jen. Ryla's eyes wandered appreciatively over Catan's attire. You look sharp, she said ironically, knowing nothing of the knife hidden under his jacket. I'm sorry I'm late, he replied. She waved her hand dismissively. No need to apologize to me, I'm hardly ever on time. The trill turned from her place at the railing and smiled up at him. And if you'll recall, I was late first. I'm just trying to figure out how you were able to slip past me. I've been near the docking corridor for a while now. Catan smiled and shrugged. I've always had a knack for slipping by unobserved. A wistful look came into his eyes. It's actually gotten me out of quite a few interesting situations as a child. As the pair walked past a viewport looking out on the docked Arabella, Catan paused and looked Ryla up and down. That dress looks good on you, he said with a smile. It compliments your spots. Ryla directed a reflexive smile away from Catan. She knew the awkward statement was meant as a compliment, and she sensed the embarrassment in his uneasy pause. Thanks, came her light-hearted reply. As his last comment replayed in his head, Catan felt his cheeks redden. His normally dormant inner critic chose that moment to make itself known. Compliments her spots? Nice one. Really smooth. And might I say, those leather pants are very... leathery. She jabbed him lightly in the arm with her elbow as they strode down the corridor. Catan cleared his throat and hurriedly tried to guide the conversation along. <clears throat> So, I hear there's a restaurant in 416 that's specializing in Klingon cuisine. The real stuff. Not replicated. I've been curious to see how it compares to my mother's cooking. The patter of running footsteps drew near, and the two quickly stepped to the wall to make room for an energetic trio of laughing Andorian children. As the kids scampered down the corridor, Catan directed his gaze back to Ryla. So about that Klingon food, what do you say? Feeling adventurous? Ryla watched the children run by. As long as it's thoroughly cooked, I think my taste buds are up to the challenge. The patrons that filled the Klingon restaurant were comprised of several species, but there was only one trill and one human in the establishment. Ryla allowed Catan to pull her chair out before lowering herself into the uncomfortable metal seat. A gruff Klingon waiter handed them each a menu pad and, without another word, turned and walked away. Ryla watched him go before giving the menu her attention or part of it, anyway. Her gaze wandered to Catan, 
He did look rather dapper in his overcoat. She flicked her eyes back to the menu when he looked up. I can't read Klingon. Ryla glanced up from the pad once more. Would you mind ordering for me? Not at all, he replied. I trust the thoroughly cooked part doesn't apply to fruit or vegetable dishes. Nope, that sounds good, she said with a nod of approval. The stoic waiter returned to their table, holding two metallic mugs in one hand, and a large clay bowl in the other. After placing the steaming carafes in front of Catan and Ryla, he set the bowl down between them. Ryla peered into the bowl. It was filled with what appeared to be plain, clear water. She pitched a quizzical glance at Catan. For cleaning up, he answered. Most Klingon food is eaten with the hands, and napkins aren't typically part of the place setting. Catan turned to the waiter. To drink, we want two glasses of bah ga, medium sweet. To eat, we want kwa-dah-gam with thaloth and zilkach served on the side. The waiter gave him a brief nod. Understood. Do you want your thaloth and zilkach boiled as well, or just the gam? All prepared in the traditional manner, replied Catan. And grapak sauce. Lots of grapak sauce. As the waiter stalked away, Ryla turned to Catan. That was a mouthful. So what did you order for us? Catan raised his mug, took a sip, and winced. The wince gradually transformed to a smile of pleasure. Kwara Dangah is literally Karada legs, which are traditionally served boiled over an open flame. Thalaf is a rich, dark green, leafy vegetable, very succulent, with a strong, somewhat spicy acidic taste. Grapak sauce tends to level out the spiciness, and zumkash is a fruit native to Kwonos, very sweet. The taste is hard to describe. To me, it's like a combination of earth apricots and betazoid udderberries. Wearing an uncertain smile, Ryla slowly raised the mug to her lips. Katan quickly held up a hand in warning. The drink is Chechtluth. Translated to standard, the name means bold drink. It is extremely potent, even by Klingon standards. He glanced at his mug. I doubt I could finish this without going into a coma, and I must be at least twice as heavy as you. Please be careful. She looked down at the brew. Thanks for the warning. Ryla took an experimental sip and coughed. <coughs> Her eyes watered as she returned the mug to the table. Is there a Klingon equivalent to a Shirley Temple? She gasped. <laughs> yes. Water. He chuckled as he pushed a cup towards her. Are you okay? She managed to hold back the coughing fit and thankfully received the water. The doctor swiftly lifted it to her mouth and flooded the fire in her stomach. She couldn't help but laugh as she wiped the tears from her cheeks. Ractagina was bold, Catan, but Chech... Chechtluth, he offered. Yes, Chechtluth, she repeated slowly, trying to pronounce it exactly as Catan had. It's a bit more than bold. I believe the word brutal is a more fitting description. It has a nice flavor, though. I like it. I think... She said with a smile, then took another long sip of water. The next post was written by Dangelus and read by Dangelus. The shuttle bay was too untidy for Lester's liking. Untidy with components and untidy with people, he thought. He had wondered why he had been assigned to this shift, as it was not his usual work rotation. Since joining the crew, he had worked mostly independently on various areas of the ship, performing tedious repairs at least as far as he was concerned. Unfortunately for Lester, this area of the ship by definition was a hub of activity for the crew. As well as support officers coming in from the starbase, many of the Arabella crew were departing for shore leave. 
much more interaction was required on the ensign's part than his usual taciturn persona was accustomed to. Realising his duties were just about finished, he cleared up his equipment, logged off duty and headed for his quarters with the intention of meditating, an act he had yet to successfully perform since signing aboard, much to his own embarrassment. Once inside his quarters, Lester activated the manual door lock, as was his custom. Incoming transmission for Ensign Lester Garris, announced the computer. Uh, route it to this station, Lester replied with mild annoyance. He looked at the communication to see who it was, even though he knew of only one person who would contact him. He opened the channel. The image of the Federation diplomatic seal appeared and was then replaced with the image of a woman. Mother, Lester stated flatly. Hello, son. How are you? The woman replied. I am well, mother. It is fortunate that you contacted me at this time, as I have only just finished my duty shift, Lester said with an inquiring tone to his voice. Of course you have, Lester. I wouldn't want to interrupt you during your duties. We want to make sure this assignment is a success this time, don't we, darling? His mother replied in a voice Lester had always disliked. Of course, mother. I am successfully performing my duties, although I am aware that my skills are not being utilised fully. It is a most illogical situation, the ensign interjected. There you go with your logic again. Oh, Lester, do you still get those funny looks when you speak to people? There was a touch of anger in her voice. I keep my interactions with the crew to a minimum, mother. You could no longer look at the screen as he spoke. Of course you do. Anyway, I just wanted to check you had settled in okay, son. Try not to mess this up, Lester. They have what you'll need here. I have to go now, but I will be in touch soon. Don't forget, son, I am always here if you need me. Goodbye, she said and cut off the transmission. Shaking his head, the ensign deactivated his console and cancelled his meditation plans. The next post was written by Feathers and read by Dangelis. Lieutenant Nicholas Andrews stepped into his quarters on Starbase 416 and waited for the door to close behind him. Sighing heavily, he loosened his uniform tunic, removed his comm badge and threw it carelessly onto a small table beside the desk. It landed beside an identical looking unit. The last shift hadn't quite gone as planned and he had only himself to blame. It was the last part of that statement that galled him. One oversight on his part was about to add all sorts of variables into an already tricky operation. The terminal on the desk lit up announcing an incoming communication. Dropping into the seat, he turned the screen to face him and commanded the computer to open the communication channel. The face he saw on the other end of the link did not come as a surprise. The following post was written by Wraith1701 and Jen and read by Jen. The drone of multiple conversations enveloped them as they ate. Ryla still felt a little buzzed from her experimental sip of the stiff drink, but it was beginning to wane with each bite of rich food Catan had ordered for them. What was it like? She asked before a bite of Thaloth. What was what like? replied Catan. He waited for her to answer as she chewed the peppery leaf and washed it down with another sip of water. Growing up in a Klingon family, you spoke fondly of your mother. What is she like? Catan took a long, slow pull of his drink, then carefully returned the mug to the table. She's a strong woman, very firm, but with a bit of a soft spot for the underdog. 
Her family has strong ties to the Defense Force, and her father wanted her to carry on the family tradition. Instead, she chose to raise a family with my father. She always used to say, A warrior isn't born. A warrior is painstakingly crafted, like a perfectly balanced batleth. The forging of that blade begins in the home. I guess she decided that she could best protect the Empire by creating the next generation of warriors. The hint of a distant, bittersweet smile lit Catan's face. And she's probably the wisest person that I know. Ryla smiled. She sounds like a noble woman. She is. She gives great advice. You asked about my scar earlier. If I'd listened to her back then, I wouldn't have this mark. It serves as a reminder to me to never think that I've grown to a point where I can't learn from others. Katan grabbed a few leaves of Thethlath, wrapped them around a piece of Zimkach, and dipped it in a bowl of Garup sauce. Are you familiar with the word Kucha? Ryla shook her head. No. Katan nodded. That's understandable. It's something of a taboo subject among Klingons, something that is rarely spoken of among outsiders. He gazed at the Trill Doctor. I have to ask you not to repeat what I'm about to tell you to anyone else. Klingons are proud people, and airing out dirty laundry can be more damaging than you can imagine. Ryla slowly set her water down. As a physician, she was well-versed in maintaining confidentiality. His secret was safe with her. Of course, she replied. He paused as though mentally stealing himself. Kuchha translates roughly to the unhappy ones. It refers to the oppressed class in the Klingon society a group that are looked down on by many as being, in many ways, less than slaves. Are they an alien subject race of the Empire? No, they are Klingon, but Klingons afflicted with a genetic abnormality, which makes them look more or less like humans. The forehead ridges are either very faint or non-existent, and most are physically frail by Klingon standards. They were once fairly numerous, and some were allowed to serve along the non-afflicted Klingons in the Defense Force. But over the last hundred years, the numbers have diminished. Many died trying to gain honor through suicide missions for the Empire. Others fled the Empire in shame. Catan gave a mirthless smile. A fortunate few were even able to reverse the condition and go on to achieve glory. But for the most part, the remaining Kucha are a shrinking minority and often face discrimination from many of the more traditional Klingon families. Katan took another sip of his drink when I was a child. Many assumed that I was Kucha. It was easier for them to accept me as a genetically inferior Klingon than to imagine that a frail human was living among them. A faraway look came into Katan's eyes, which brings me to a woman named Kalara. She was a magnificent woman, small in stature, but with the heart of a warrior. Her house was one of the oldest in the Empire. Some said that the line went all the way back to the first emperor. Kilara was an only child, and her mother was a bit controlling. As the protector of her house's honor, she was very concerned about her family's image. So you can imagine how scandalized she was to discover her daughter was being courted by someone from a lesser house. Especially when that someone was Kucha. You were in love with her. Ryla noticed a flicker of pain in his eyes that followed her compliment. The Trill suddenly felt a wave of guilt. She knew all too well how difficult it was to remember painful events of the past. I'm sorry, Katan. You don't have to tell me anymore. He smiled, grateful for Ryla's empathy. Part of him ached to get the story off his chest. Besides, the floodgates had already been opened. He steepled his fingers before him on the table and gazed into the Trill's eyes. I appreciate your understanding, but I want to share this. The next post was written by Meds and Star Trek Fanatic 5 and read by Meds. 
The Carlin gave a big yawn, closed his eyes, and stretched his arms out just as the turbo lift doors opened. He heard the light cough, and Joseph quickly opened his eyes to see the face of Captain Quinn. Whoops, sorry sir, he said as he lowered his arms. Quinn smiled and entered the turbo lift and stood next to Joseph. Transporter room, Quinn said with a snap. Joseph turned to the captain. I've uh, got the bears report, sir. Quinn smiled at DeCarlin as he handed him the pad. He quickly scanned the pad. I'm sure you're relieved to have this out of the way, Mr. DeCarlin, Nathan said as he continued to read the report. The turbo lift stopped as another crewman entered and nodded to DeCarlin and Quinn. Quinn continued. I agree with your suggestion that Mr. Bowers will need some sessions with the counsellor. Be sure to inform Mr. Margon of his new client. Joseph took the pad back from Quinn. Now, will you, sir? Ah, oh, before you head off to shore leave, I've, uh, I've found a rather enthusiastic young ensign. He's a Ferengi pilot. He's eager to transfer to the Arabella. Oh, I said I'd mention it to you. Quinn smiled again. <laughs> well, we are beginning to staff back up. Do you have his record? DeCarlin pressed a few buttons on the pad and handed it back to Nathan. Quinn studied the pad. Hmm, he's had a very colourful background. Well, your recommendation, I'm sure he'll make a fine addition to our crew. Please run this past Lieutenant Commander James. I've, uh, I've been looking forward to getting down to the planet. Just then, the turbo lift came to a stop and the doors opened. This is my stop, Quinn said as he stepped out of the corridor. Just as the doors shut, the cannon saw Nicholas Tucker carrying several travel bags and joined the captain. Joseph smiled and tapped his com badge. The cannon to James. I uh, would like to speak with you, sir, at your earliest convenience. The next post was written by Just X and read by Billy Bob. Lieutenant Commander James sat at his desk and completed transmitting his reports to Quinn's computer. He'd made several recommendations for the improvement of the ship and summaries of the meetings that he had conducted. Initial reports from the Corps of Engineers had provided him more information on the classified work that they were doing in the secondary warp core. Upon arriving at the station, both Eric and Quinn had been briefed on Project Eagle and its placement on the Arabella. With all the work going on with the ship and the recovery of the crew, the SCE were able to perform the tasks that they needed to complete with little interruption. Eric took the last sip of his water and started to rise when his comm badge chimed. The Calendar James, I'd like to speak with you, sir, at your earliest convenience. Eric sat his mug down. With Quinn leaving to go planetside, he would be handling the ship's business that would normally be reserved for the captain, but it was obvious that Quinn needed a break. James here. It just so happens that I can meet with you now. Where would you like to meet, Joseph? The following post was written by Feathers and read by Dangelus. Galdar walked across Ops, holding himself as erect as his physiology would permit. At times like this, he was uniquely aware of the differences between himself and most of the rest of the Starfleet comrades. It wasn't that anyone would ever dream of highlighting species differences, but Galdar felt it anyway. He laid it at the door of his self-imposed exile rather than any personal insecurity, but he was aware of the risks of such self-analysis and diagnosis. There was no doubt a good task for an experienced counsellor here if Galdar ever chose to seek one out. He paused at the door to the commander's office and looked around. Taking in the buzz of activity, he and the control plots depicting the local region of space. Despite his discomfort with crew in large numbers, he felt at home here and had always looked forward to getting an ops shift one day. In light of what he was about to do, that would probably not now happen. 
He tapped the control on the side of the door and waited. Come, came the muffled voice from inside. The door slid apart. Galdar entered to see the commander returning to his desk from the direction of the replicator, the steaming mug in his hand confirming his departure point. Yes, Ensign? Sir, Galdar breathed deeply and attempted to settle himself. Sir, I wanted to have a private word. Commander Radrek sat at the desk and motioned Galdar towards one of his few chairs. Not entirely in line with protocol, it somehow seemed appropriate for a private word. When Galdar remained silent, Radrek raised an eyebrow and regarded him quietly. Sir, I want to inform you that I am looking to apply for a transfer to the Arabella. I'd like to try and achieve that while she's still docked. The Vulcan steepled his fingers and regarded the young Ferengi. Go on. Galdar hesitated. Sir, this station has a very capable flight crew, and over the last four months, I have come to know and respect many of them. In that time, however, the opportunity to fly has not been all that I had hoped for. A command officer of any other species would have smiled at this. Radrek simply looked impassively at the junior officer. The young Ferengi would be neither the first nor the last pilot to complain of insufficient flight time. Radrek himself had expressed similar concerns to one of his first commanders, although he had been entirely logical in his assessment of that situation. He was sure that the same could not be said for the Ferengi before him. Ensign, while I can understand your stated dissatisfaction with the position you hold, I do not think that you have fully considered the implications of what you are suggesting. The Arabella is a small command, while this station is large. Logic suggests that a young officer in your position would stand to gain more experience by staying on the station than by transferring to a ship. Sir, Galdar responded, I have considered all that you are saying, and I accept that there are risks implicit in what I am requesting, but risk is part of the game, and I intend to play it for all it's worth. Ah, the 143rd rule of acquisition. The commander sat back as he said this. Sir? asked Galdar, confused. You might remember the 79th rule, Ensign. On any other face, the expression that accompanied this statement would have been described as a smirk. Ha <laughs> ha beware the Vulcan greed for knowledge. Galdar laughed as he quoted this and found that it had acted as a release for some of the tension he'd been feeling. The next post was written by Hawkeye Meds and Just X and read by Meds. James here. It just so happens that I can meet with you now. Where would you like to meet, Joseph? DeCarlin thought for a moment and then replied back to the XO. I'll, uh, I'll meet you in the quieter part of the afterburner. I was aiming to get some food down here before I leave for shore leave. On my way, Joseph walked out of the turbo lift and straight into the afterburner. It was fairly quiet, so getting a table by the viewport windows was easy. He signaled to the barman who understood Joseph's request. Sitting facing the glittering stars, Joseph put his pad down and stretched out, making a few cracking sounds as he did. The barman came to the table and placed a glass tumbler down in front of him. Uh, can you get me Eric James usual please, I want uh, two menus. The barman nodded and headed back for the orders. A seat pulled out as Eric joined Joseph. I've uh, got you usual in a couple of menus. Eric smiled. So uh, what can I do for you Joseph? Joseph picked up the pad and glided his fingers over the panel. 
I saw Captain Quinn earlier and gave him my report on Ensign Baz. I also mentioned to him about a young pilot I met on the station, eager chap, a Ferengi as well. Eric raised an eyebrow as Joseph handed him the part. A Ferengi, eh? Well, we've got a good selection of races on this ship, so a Ferengi would fit in well. He's had a colourful time, hasn't he? Looks like he's a bit eager to get off the station. Joseph leant out of the way as the barman put Eric's drinks down on the menu. Mate, I'll have a steak, cook blue from room temperature. Eric also ignored the menu. Hmm, fish of the day, thank you. Putting the pad down, Eric leant back. Okay, let's give him a trial. I'll do all the red tape, but can I leave you in charge of bringing him over? Once you have had your shore leave, of course. The Carlin nodded and raised his glass to the XO, who did the same in reply. Joseph, have you thought any more about the team building exercise we were talking about during our last meeting? The Carlin laughed. <laughs> Sir, I've only just sat down since last talking to you, by a little snooze. The Bar's investigation took a while. Yes, I, I read that. Then, of course, Barry's got himself sent into the brig on the station, so I had to go bring him back. Yes, I, I heard about that as well. And then, we had the new security crewman come aboard who fancies himself as a bit of a handful. Yes, I saw him come aboard. Joseph looked at Eric. Oh, he's everywhere, eh, mate? The two men laughed, and Joseph continued. It would be good to get all the personnel together in a meeting to discuss these games. As the captain has rightly taken some extended shore leave, it would be fantastic if we could get the games going and then have the crew bonded together for the captain's return. Eric pondered for a second and then shook his head in agreement. Excellent. Now that's sorted, I can leave you with obtaining Ensign Goldar. I'll be enjoying this fish dish even more, whenever it arrives. There you go. Great posts this week, and we really appreciate everybody recording, writing, turning their stuff in, and, and we hope everybody's enjoying the program. If you have any comments, we would love to hear them. In fact, we have an audio comment. You can send them into the Ready Room Podcast at gmail.com. The Ready Room Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we would love to be able to play them. So let's play our comment right now. Hey, Kenny, Jen, and Rick. This is Eric from the forum. Just dropping you all a quick line to let you know that uh, your efforts with the Ready Room Podcast are greatly appreciated. Uh, you know, everybody has a busy lives and it's hard to pull time out of your schedule to do something like this especially when you're not getting paid for it but uh once again your efforts are truly appreciated uh i dig listening to the podcast i enjoy it thoroughly uh, everything from y'all's uh summaries about the uh the past posts uh your speculation on where the season will go and your uh readings not just y'all's readings but the readings from the other former participants it all makes the RPG that much more fun and enjoyable and as somebody that's actually tried to uh, send in some post readings I know how difficult and trying it can be so to all y'all regular readers thank you as well I mean it's once again it makes the whole game that much more entertaining that much more that much more fun anyway, keep up the great work guys I really do appreciate what y'all are doing take it easy bye bye Thanks, Eric. That's so cool of you to uh, send in an MP3 and talk to us. How awesome. And we appreciate you, too. You're a great writer and a fun guy to have along on the RPG. Very cool. Okay, well, that wraps everything up for today. It's mostly a, a reading show, and uh, so I hope everybody enjoyed the post. We'll be back again next week. Uh, again, if you'd like to uh, send us in comments or email or whatever, we'd love it. The Ready Room Podcast at Gmail. 
www.hailingfrequencies.com. I'm Rick Moyer, Hailing Frequencies Closed. The Ready Room Podcast is a Trex and Sci-Fi microcast. All music written and performed by Rick and Nathan Moyer. Read more about the adventures of the USS Arabella at www.treksandsci-fi.com slash forum. If you'd like to send us feedback, we would love to hear from you. Please email the Ready Room Podcast at gmail.com. That's the Ready Room Podcast at gmail.com. And thanks for listening.